Welcome to the Fagication Podcast. This week, I'm going to be tackling the subject of the income roller coaster. Now, we've all been there, but the income roller coaster, what I mean is you get to the stage where you're really busy, so you haven't got time for client work, uh, but then that dries up, so you need clients desperately, so you start kind of frantically marketing yourself. Um, you know, everything from asking friends, turning up to networking events, all that kind of stuff. You get clients. Then you stop marketing, continue working, clients run out, and the pattern kind of resumes and sort of you end up in this continuous kind of stop-start loop, which is exhausting. And I know this because I had this problem once. I was going to uh, another networking meeting, and it, and it's horrible because not only you kind of you don't really want to be there, but you don't really you know. I've been recommended to go. It was a new one, and what I found, which was really the thing that I hate about networking is nobody will bother to talk to you. So you're standing there kind of with your coffee and your kind of breakfast snack or whatever in a room of people who already know each other. And you've got to do this kind of terrible introduction where you sell what you do. And I really hated this. And it was one of these things that I only pushed myself through it because I was like, I need clients. Um, this is probably the best way to get them. So I'll ask a few friends, but generally this is it for me. Um, and what would happen, like I said, it, I would be in this cycle of like I was marketing because I was desperate for money and I needed to get some work in. And then I would get busy with the work and it would just repeat. And the reason being was I didn't quite realize this at the time, but that everything was set up wrongly and I wasn't able to break this cycle. And what I noticed was every time I'd be marketing, it was from a position of weakness, as in I wasn't marketing when things were going well uh, and I was doing client work. It was this weird thing of people had said to me, you know, it's when you're busy with work, that's when you need to be marketing because it, it will run out. And I was like, well, why would it? I'm I'm fine. I'll be OK. I've got work coming in. It's not a problem. But what happens is when you're doing well and your reputation is high um, and, you know, people can see the work you're putting out and you're getting good referrals from clients, that is ironically when you're at your most attractive because you're in demand. The flip side happens is when you're kind of in need of clients because you've not got any, you become kind of pathetic and desperate. And people can smell the desperation because you are marketing from a position of weakness. And the problem is that you're marketing from a position where I'll just need any client because I need the money and that never leads to good long-term decisions and so what you end up doing is saying yes to clients that you probably shouldn't do because you need the money which means then you have a nightmare job that doesn't really go well the work that you're doing you're not really proud of so you're not putting it out there and then that runs out and it's like, oh God, I've, I've gone from one nightmare job where I've just, the clients run me ragged with requests and changes and all that kind of stuff. And now I'm back out there again um, and I've got nothing to show for it. I've fallen for the trap again. I've got new, no new work. I'm exhausted and I've become more desperate. And this thing of marketing from a position of desperation was what was killing me because it was giving me, and I've talked about this before, but it was giving me a kind of scarcity mindset. And the scarcity mindset is just simply that I don't think there's enough work to go around and I'm not, I don't believe enough in myself that I'm going to get good work. So I've kind of figured like, well, look, I better just say yes to whatever comes along. And when that does come along, um, the fact that I say yes to everything means that even if a great client came along, odds on, I would have said yes to everyone. So I can't say yes to them because I'm completely booked out and I'm on the edge of burnout. And all of this is kind of fairly standard. And I did this for ages and it just became so exhausting that you're kind of thinking, I can't keep doing this. It's it's unsustainable. And when I spoke to people, I was like, you know, they had the same problem of you go basically gaps of working and then gaps of nothing and then gaps of working again. And the bigger problem long term is time just disappears and you can go for two or three years and realize, what the hell am I doing? What happened to my portfolio? When I started this, I had like dreams of working with great clients and I was, you know, planning like, yes, you know, I'm sure in a few years time I'll be different and earning more money than my current job. But the reality is that these bad decisions had slowly kind of hammered me down to where I wasn't really, you know, the work wasn't very good. There wasn't any new work because what I was saying yesterday was pretty underwhelming. 
I'd lost all confidence in myself, so I couldn't sell myself and talk with any confidence. And as you know, when you're kind of asked to sort of stand up and say, so what do you do? If you're bored or lacking confidence in what you do, you're not going to sell anyone anything. And actually, you're going to damage your own brand and reputation. So it was actually this scarcity mindset was taking hold because it was affecting my short-term decisions, which was killing my long-term future. And it took a while for me to kind of sit down and go, okay, so what is the problem here? What am I doing wrong? And how can I actually stop this? And as I said, it was this analysis of like, okay, I'm doing this stop start thing and it's not working. And actually the solution in a way is to sort of do less marketing, but do it more often. So it becomes a kind of like anything, like a habit that, you do every day and you're doing it in a way that um, you're going to basically kind of resist the scarcity mindset and you're going to make time for doing marketing all the time but not in a way that becomes sort of overwhelming and, and when I tried this in the past oh, what I lacked was the kind of discipline to stick at it so it's the tortoise and the hare thing the hare as you know just thinks well this is easy rushes ahead falls asleep and the, the tortoise who is start slowly but is consistent eventually overtakes the hare and wins the race and that was me I would be like well I've got a whole day to do marketing I'll just go mad and flood all of my contacts with stuff and that didn't work for me because I burnt everyone out early because I'd like oh I've I've contacted everyone how long do I leave it before I reach out to them again and if I did do work I'd get full so I couldn't say yes I'd, one minute I'm saying oh have you got any work going or do you know anyone who could you know help me out and I'd said yes to a couple of people so when those people who had also asked came back to me and said oh, actually, I actually found someone I now had to say oh I'm sorry I'm full again so I wasted that kind of request I wasted their time so it, it occurred to me that actually the, the way to do this is to think of it so it's just a regular habit. And I think it, the, the opening thing which really blew me away as far as it, it, I, I crystallized it for me was Seth Godin talks about treating it like eating or brushing your teeth, as in it's something you do every day that you must do to survive and is necessary, but it doesn't take up much time and it's just easy to do. And once he under, explained it like that, I was like, that is it. I needed to build a system that enabled me to do that and protected me from myself and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today and so when I talk about getting off that income roller coaster of up down up down up down I wanted to share with you how I did it and kind of how you can do it as well and what it boils down to is three main components and we're going to cover all these in this episode but the first one is having the ability to say no and more specifically having enough money in your bank or your savings to feel confident enough to say no to people who aren't a good fit for you that's the first thing you have to kind of be a little bit more disciplined with how you manage your money um, so you can say no with confidence meaning that if someone does come along and they're not a good fit it's not going to haunt you and you're not going to be tempted to say yes the second is you need some sort of um, strategic element where you're planning on what direction do I want to take my career so that as I'm implementing this, uh, I'm going in the right direction. It is the kind of, I don't want to kind of work frantically and then look back in three years time and go, what was it all for? I haven't really moved forward, so to speak. So the second bit is how do we build in some sort of career planning? And the third bit is how do we build a system that is easy to implement and isn't going to take all day? In actual fact, it's going to be something which, like brushing your teeth, you can work on every day that allows you still to do all of your work and that not be a problem, but it also is something that you take seriously. So I guess another analogy would be it's like exercise. You know, if you make time for exercise at first in the beginning, it's not really enjoyable and it's quite painful. But actually, like any habit after a while, once you've set aside um, you know, getting up in the morning at six o'clock to go and do a run or go to the gym, it soon becomes part of your lifestyle. And it's not really that you have to make time for that. You have to make time for everything else around it. And that's what we want to get to with this. So that's what I'm going to be covering today. And I hope it's going to be useful for you. So first up is the money to say no. So when you're doing this, it's so important to be able to sort of say no, you know, with confidence because there's nothing worse than being approached by a client and being ever so tempted to take them on. 
But as I said before, it's much easier to say no if you don't need them. And this is what they talk about when it comes to sort of negotiation. It's the person that's going to win the negotiation is the person that's able to walk away from the deal and not be bothered about it. And I'm sure we've all had it when, you know, your phone contract's expired and you're already looking at like, oh, I want to join another network because I quite like the deals they've got. You phone up your phone provider and they will do so much to try and keep you there that it's really tempting to say yes. They almost pull you back in. But if you're strong enough to go, do you know what? I've made my mind up. It's not going to work. Then you can stay strong. And it's the same here because people who've been working with you, knowing that they can undercut you and knowing you'll say yes to their bullshit pricing, they will come back to you hoping to screw you over again or hoping to get that same deal or play the same game. And you've got to say, actually, do you know what? Not anymore. And standing up to anyone is difficult. So we have to be able to you know, equip us with things that are going to make us feel more confident in being able to say no. And, and one of the biggest things that is going to make that factor, yes, obviously having savings is important, but it's going to be um, the size of your income gap. Now, your income gap is all to do with the difference between the money that you make in a business and the money you need to live on. So, for example, if your business made £100,000 in profit, but your living expenses were £95,000, then your income gap is only £5,000. So you cannot make mistakes, or you, if you lose a client, it's going to be a problem because you've only got a tiny buffer. Whereas your business could make half that amount and make, say, £50,000, but if you only need £20,000 to live on, that's your expenses, your income gap is £30,000, which is much bigger and that big income gap is going to provide you with a big buffer so that if things go wrong or, or anything happens, it's not going to be the end of the world because you've got this big gap to live on. You can still carry on living, running your business as normal, uh, and you might go through a lean period, but you can absorb that and see it out. Where in the first example, because you have a very tiny income gap, it's very, very dangerous. You know, you lose a client, you don't get one quickly, and all of a sudden, you could find your business, you know, even going out of business. So that's what we need to focus on is how can we increase that income gap, but do it in both directions. So we need to look at the two things, which is like, how can we make a little bit more money, but also how can we reduce our costs? Because making money isn't easy. So the first thing to doing this is increasing it as far as saving money. So what I would say here is this is where you're looking to build a nest egg. Now, I've I know that it's very easy to say build a nest egg, you know, with the way the inflation is at the moment and, and bills and everything. It's not realistic. And also, if an emergency comes in, you'll need to go into that money. So there are certain things that I absolutely recommend which you can be doing, which will be contributing to your nest egg and it will be a compounding process. So let me talk about how the things that this is what I've noticed have worked for me and other people. The first thing is to build what you would call a sort of nest egg or savings fee into every project. And all you need to do is add an extra 5 to 10% on top of the project fee that you've calculated. And that becomes your automatic nest egg or savings money. And that would go into an account that you can't touch or you try not to touch with every project. So once you bill your first job, once you paid everyone, you've got to make sure you move that extra 5 or 10% across. And if you do that with every project throughout the year, you'll be surprised at how much that money can build up into something which is actually going to give you the confidence to say no. So that's the first thing. Make sure you add a savings fee onto all the projects you do of about 5 to 10%. The next thing is to create kind of passive income products. Now, I always think the first thing is passive income is never passive. It takes an enormous amount of work to make that happen. But what you can do is kind of be clever about how you do it. So the first thing I'd say is if you're working on what you do in your business, you can repurpose and repackage files, templates, whatever you're using. Um, it could even be like processes, but the, the whole point being is whatever you're using in your business every day with your clients, you can take that format that you know is working, redesign it, repackage it and put it onto Creative Market. Now, the reason why I say something like Creative Market is because it comes with a built-in audience. So yes, I understand there's a huge amount of competition, but the reality is that you, if you're good and if your products are good, 
And to be honest, this, this comes down to kind of a balance of practicality, originality, maybe testing a few different cover slides to see what works. But if you do that and you're looking around at what you're already using and you're finding ways to repurpose what's working, you can start putting them on creative market. And if they get a bit of traction, they'll get popular and you'll, you'll sell them. Now, the reason why I recommend creative market is because it has this audience built in. So the marketing element is taken away. Your products just have to be good. And over time, you can slowly build an audience or a following on that platform for your own product. So each product becomes easier to launch because you're already launching it to a kind of pre-sold audience. And that's really important. So we're looking to pick sites that we can work with that have already got this audience built in. So Creative Market would be the first one. Like I said, anything you've built or you use in your day-to-day work, it can be repackaged and repurposed and put on there. The next thing would be sort of merchandise. So for me, I really like doing kind of passion projects where I'm designing kind of fictional businesses from 80s movies. But whatever it is, fan art, cult, you know, usually pop culture projects, if there's anything like that that you do and that you like, you can then turn all of those designs or illustrations into posters, clothing, stickers, all that kind of stuff, and sell that on Redbubble. Now, a bit like Creative Market, Redbubble will handle all of the fulfillment, so you don't need to worry about returns and shipping and all that kind of stuff. And yes, they take a big cut like Creative Market. However, they also have a big audience on the platform, so you're more likely to sell to people. And again, over time, it will become easier to release new designs and new illustrations because you've already built up an audience. And once you've got that following, again, you're building a sort of digital audience on someone else's platform. Um, And what I would say at this point is what you can then do, and my friend Dustin Lee of Retro Supply did this very successfully, he would try and drive traffic from Creative Market to his personal website where he would incentivize that by offering kind of like bundles of stuff for free if they signed up for an email. So you could do exactly the same where you build a bit of awareness on both Redbubble and Creative Market and then you try and siphon those buyers onto an email list because that's what you own. And then this becomes a kind of mini sales funnel where you're putting products out there you're directing traffic from those very busy sites to your own. And you might say, look, if you want to get the best prices, come direct to me or, or whatever it is. You have to you know, be respectful and play within the rules. But it's definitely worth considering because that way you're going to also be building an audience on an email list that you own as well, which is really valuable. The third kind of passive income product sort of that I also would like you to consider is your knowledge. And again, it's this thing of If you find you're doing stuff that's working for you and you've got experience in your industry, that can all be packaged up for people who are looking to learn how to do what you do. And if you go to another site with a big audience, which is Skillshare, then you've got a chance of earning a bit of money from that and also developing awareness and building an audience on that platform. Because, like I said, it comes with a built-in audience. You don't have to do the marketing. And over time, the more courses you release, the easier it gets and then you try and siphon that um, attention onto a platform you own so that's really important so that's the first stage of sort of building the nest egg and making deliberate efforts to look at how you can repurpose and reuse what you're doing or learning or creating in your own life and turning that into kind of things that are going to compound themselves over time as an example just off the top of my head i sold few of my designs on Redbubble and I think I made about four and a half grand in a year. So although I'm sure there are people making that in a couple of weeks, my point being is I forgot it was on there because I hadn't logged in for over a year. It was only when I tried to update my PayPal that they said, we've got this payment for you. And it made me realize, God, I totally set it. I did that set it and forget it thing. And what that meant was I now had a massive amount of like chunk of money, which was this exact saying no amount so that was really helpful for me we also want to reduce our overheads so the first thing here you're going to look at is ego decisions and what this comes down to is they're decisions that your ego wants but you probably don't need so with anything shiny that you want to purchase or you want to rent a new office or buy a new laptop or you know go and stay in a nice hotel or or whatever it is hire a PA all these kind of things which are going to be very seductive to the ego you have to stop and ask yourself objectively do I want this or do I need this now if you need it then you can go ahead but if you just want it 
then maybe delay until you've got a bit more money because our ego decisions, they can become a millstone around our neck because if you have to pay rent on an office before anything, you've now got to take on clients that are going to cover that rent. So how is your decision making going to be when you need to pay rent every month? You're already putting yourself under pressure and therefore you're slipping back into a scarcity mindset where you're just saying yes to any clients because you need the money to pay your rent. That's not a good place to be. So that, you know, watch out for ego decisions is the first one. Next, you need to audit your finances. So the easiest way of doing this is usually probably a most banking software um, or apps for your accounting. They will have an, a way of giving you a kind of visual breakdown of where your money's going. And it's definitely worth looking back over the last sort of six months to see where you're spending your money. Um, I would imagine a lot of it is probably going on things like Amazon, which, you know, or wherever. It, it was Usually it will surprise you and you won't realise you're spending so much. It will just creep up. But what this means is you can now adjust based on what you know and then you can audit yourself again in another six months and see how you've improved. But if we don't keep a track of things and subscriptions are massive, I think there's a website called Track My Subs. But what it is, it's things like Netflix, Patreon, YouTube, whatever it, Spotify, all these kind of things are very cheap at the time, but combined are going to cost you hundreds of pounds a month. So again, you need to probably think, okay, I hate ads on YouTube premium, but yeah, I can put up with the ads to save that extra money. And same with Spotify. And it's slowly you just hack away at all these things. And, you know, it's just a cost cutting exercise because what we're trying to do is we're trying to reduce that gap as well. So by auditing your finances, seeing where you're spending your money and adjusting accordingly, you can keep on top of things and actually, you know, decide what is working for you and what isn't. Another thing is to switch to providers that you're using. So by providers, I mean kind of suppliers for energy or internet or phone. There's lots of websites out there which will help you switch um, and you can do comparisons on what's good and what's bad. And actually, sadly, the more loyal you are by staying with your current provider, the more you are penalised by them. They're used to a switching culture. So using a switch site or some sort of broker to get you a better deal is absolutely worth it. I know, for example, when we were heating our hotel, um, we were spending about £5,000 a year on gas and electricity. We managed to get a broker that reduced that by half. So that immediately frees up a lot of money. And it was a case of they did all the work. They got the commission from the new energy company they connected us with. It cost me nothing. So all these things are possible. And once you get into the habit of doing it, it's really easy. And actually staying on top of your cost that way is, is really, really important. And the final thing is to increase your efficiency. By this, I mean freeing up your time because that's the one thing in your life and business that is the most premium because you can't make more of it. And if there's any way that you can automate or outsource repetitive tasks so that you can be freed up to do the work that you can charge the most money for, then it should be done. So if there are any apps out there that can do what you're doing better than you, or even look at going online and finding a VA or a virtual assistant who, again, can help kind of streamline your business and free you up. I know it feels counterintuitive to spend money on a VA to like do stuff for you, but the reality is you can build their fee into all your projects. And actually, if you're not doing that admin, what are you free to do? So actually, this is where you can do more marketing. You can do more like improvements on the services you offer. You could learn new skills, work for under, you know, the apprenticeship of other people. There's so much you can do with that time that is going to compound itself and, and give you long term value and allow you to kind of, you know, you could do, for example, courses, teach yourself stuff, learn things, try it out and then double your rates because now you can you've got new experience. All of this can be done when you've got the time to do it. So freeing yourself up by becoming more efficient with how you spend your time is another way of fantastically reducing your overheads. Now, on the flip side, we want to increase our rates. So the first easy thing is to put all of your prices up by 10 to 20 percent straight away. I know that this might feel uncomfortable, but I'd imagine most of your clients probably feel that you're quite good value because they've been around you for a while. And look, let's be honest, inflation is going up the whole time. So the first thing to do is bang, put all your prices up by 20 percent So and explain, you know, this, your prices are going up and people can leave if they want. But I promise you they're not going to leave because it's easier to stay because they've already built a relationship with you. So that's the first one. And that's a really quick win. The next thing is to put all your rates up with every new client. Now, the rate depends on how much you're charging. But what you want to be doing is upping it, I would say, between sort of 20 to 50 percent 
with each new client you get until you hit what would be your market ceiling, which is where clients are now no longer prepared to pay that rate because they can't see the value in what they're getting from you. So once you've hit that and clients are saying no to you, that's not a bad thing because you know you're at your threshold now. What you can then do is decide, well, how do I break through that by learning new things? So that would be how to solve that. So like I said, put your rates up with every new client. Now, this next bit is going to come back into kind of how you break through that threshold, which is to learn valuable skills. So this would come down to what is it that clients are prepared to pay more for and how can I learn the skills that they want? So all clients are looking for a return on their investment with you, whatever you offer. But there is going to be a range of services within your industry and some are more appealing and more lucrative than others. So this is where you can free up your time and actually use that time to learn new skills, which will allow you to do the fourth bit, which is offer more sought after services. So you're just evolving your business and you're going, okay, so how can I uh, offer a more valuable service that clients will pay more for? Well, I need to learn it. I need to test it. I need to prove I can be good at it and have success. And then I can pay more with it. And if you do all of this, not only are you putting your rates up, but you are justifying why you're putting your rates up. And that's better all around for everyone because we no longer feel guilty about doing it. The clients can clearly see what they're paying for and everyone wins. So that would definitely be the next price. Um, and the final bit of how you stretch that income gap. And this was um, something which only occurred to me when I was really trying to break things down. But it's worth changing how you get paid. So by this, I mean, if we're paid in a typical kind of like 50% deposit 50% on completion that in itself is a kind of feast of famine kind of all or nothing way of getting paid you know we get a massive lump sum in we're balling and then we spend the money we've got nothing for ages until we finish the project and then we get a massive lump sum in again that isn't good because that in itself is going to sort of affect how we're spending what we want to do is create a more predictable cash flow so we need to start by going back to our clients or restructuring how we charge our clients and saying look is there another way that I could get paid that was perhaps more consistent instead of just in lump sums now the first way of doing this would be to invoice um, in milestones instead of percentages so instead of doing the whole like I said 50% deposit 50% on completion tie your billing to measurable project deliverables now what this does is there's going to be a project you could say break it down into 10 milestones you have to achieve that means you're going to get paid instead of two times but 10 times so if we say your bill was a thousand pounds you've gone from being paid 500 pounds deposit 500 pounds on completion to now being paid 100 pounds 10 times this automatically makes your cash flow more predictable Clients will often prefer it because they understand exactly what they're getting paid for. And the hidden bonus is if they withhold that payment, you've pretty much been paid up until the latest milestone. So you, if they're not paying you, you just stop working. And it's a case of you're never going to get to that stage, which we've all been in, where you've completed a project and now you're having to fight for that final 50% to get paid. So that eliminates all of that. The other thing is to offer payment plans to your clients where they pay you a regular month, a regular amount every month. So again, if you were looking to sell a website, let's say it was a big project and it was £20,000 for like an e-commerce website. Now, most people would be like, well, it's a lot of money. So actually, to again, if we go back to the percentage example, for them to pay £10,000 deposit and then £10,000 on completion, that's going to be very difficult for most businesses. So the chances are you're going to lose out on that quote because it's not structured to suit them. Now, however, what you could do is this, well, look, it's 20,000 or you can pay us 2,000 pounds a month over a year. So whatever, let's do the math. So they're paying you 24,000 over 12 months or 20,000 in the 50-50 and you can give them a choice and most people will take the latter. I mean, in that example, actually, now I think about it, I think that extra four grand on top is a bit high. But what I would say is even if you spread it, it's a thousand pounds a month over two years then I think that might be realistic. So they're like, well, that's much more manageable and we're going to see the return on that investment long before we have to complete paying you. So my point being is if you offer payment plans, you can land bigger projects because it's much more comfortable for the clients um, and they can understand why they're kind of paying this way and they're going to see a, a return quicker before they finish paying the lot. So 
that would be one thing. And the other thing is to maybe look at offering retainer services. So again, you're getting paid monthly uh, for some sort of service. So a typical retainers would be uh, like an hourly amount that they can use every month on a project. Um, or you could be doing consultancy where they get you for, again, a length of time, like a day or two days a month. Or the final thing would be to kind of um, hold a place in a queue. So they have you kind of as an emergency source. So uh, if they're doing a project and they need you in an emergency, they can cash in their retainer and say, we need you to come and work on this. And you will immediately drop what you're doing, find someone else to take over your workload and jump on their project. So there's a kind of like an insurance type retainer. So that would be uh, the other case. So by doing all of these things and creating a more regular cash flow, that again is going to help us um, work out what our finances are and get a greater understanding and take that pressure off us because we're not going, we're not living from paycheck to paycheck we're getting consistently paid and that's much more predictable and manageable and that alleviates the stress, helps us build our future and ultimately all these things combined will help widen that income gap which again is going to help you say no and it's going to kill that scarcity mindset. The second part was to have some sort of longer term career strategy so that we knew that everything we were doing was helping move us in a direction and get us to a destination we wanted to end up. And to be honest, if we're going to start working for ourselves or we're going to leave a kind of salary job um, or working in-house, one of the benefits should be that you it you know gives you the freedom to not only choose who you want to work with, but also build a life that works for you because you're now your own boss. And there's nothing worse than kind of leaving a safe salary job to then become your own boss and then be at the mercy of terrible clients and actually there's no one you can blame or turn to because it's all on you and, and that becomes a nightmare. So we want to then go, okay, I've made this jump. I want to push my career in a certain direction. So let's make sure that I'm working towards that direction and a way of doing that. And so the way of doing that is a couple of things, but like anything, you need to be very, very clear on who do you want to be working with. So this is where we get a chance to kind of dream big and be a bit more ambitious and go, well, you know, who is my ideal type of client? Not who do I think I can get, but who would I love to get? Um, and we need to understand that, well, why would you love to get them? What is it about that client? Is it how they make you feel? Is it the kind of budgets they have? Is it the kind of who they hang out with or their personality? Whatever it might be, you need to be clear on who it is you want to work with, how they can help you fulfill your own financial and creative and career goals and be very clear on who they are so you know exactly who you're going after the second bit is well how can you help them so once you know who you want to work with you need to be clear on like well what are the problems they're having um how can i help them if i met them why would they pick me and just being clear on this because quite often when we do a bit of research we understand what they're going through and then we can work out how we can fix it for them so once you know that, it makes the third bit, which is what is your pitch, really, really easy because now you can kind of, you know, and I've got here a very, very basic kind of like elevator pitch formula, which would be we help, insert ideal client, achieve, insert the number one girl goal using, insert the service you offer. Another might be where you kind of phrase it, so we help ideal client achieve ideal result without perceived pain point so we're just kind of flipping on our head there so that's another one that you know they might not like as well uh, and I guess the final one which uh, I heard from Chris Doe of the future which was you would start talking to them by going you know when you have this problem right and that feels terrible well we fix that problem by using our service to get you this result without even having to do that so again, it's kind of like a mix and match sort of, of all three of those things. But what that does is that allows you to kind of um, pitch yourself. But the only way you can do that is knowing who you're talking to, knowing their main pain points, and then knowing what you provide that solves that those pain points for them. So they're the three things you need to put together. And then the big bit which people don't want to address is, actually, if I want to be working with these ideal clients, there's a, probably a really good chance that I'm lacking in usually experience or skills so if I want to get those kind of people 
I've got to be better than I am now. So the question you've got to ask yourself is like, how do I close this experience gap? And who are the people that I can learn from in order to kind of attract and deliver and, you know, helps, you know, become successful? You know, who can I help these clients? How can I help these clients? What I'm trying to say, be more successful using a more sought after service. Now, the way to do that is to look at who else is doing it well, maybe going and working for them for free or teaching yourself or doing courses. There's loads of ways of doing it. But like with the income gap, we need to close that experience gap, find out what we're lacking and then try to fill that gap with knowledge, experience all those kind of other things. The next thing is obviously now we're with our strategic head on, we're clear on who we want to go after. Fantastic. So now we can begin to plan in say three years or a year's time these are the types of clients I want to be working with fantastic that's good to know I know what I'm going to be offering I know I can help them I know I can be successful brilliant but now we need to get in front of them because if we don't do that it's the whole thing of a tree falls in the woods but nobody's there to hear it does it make a sound it's like well if our clients don't know we exist and we can't help them why would they care what we do I think that's a crap analogy. Anyway, I'll move on. So the point being is what we want to do is we want to work out how can we get in front of them so they can find out about us and hopefully choose us. And the easiest way is to just think about where they pay attention. All of us, it's so, so simple. If you had 15 minutes to watch TV or YouTube or Netflix before you went to bed, whatever you would choose would be what you genuinely really want to watch. You wouldn't pick something random or go, oh, I'm not sure, I'll just browse. You kind of know what's important because you've got limited time and we're all the same. So what you need to do is pay attention and ask your ideal client or ask people who know them or hang out in forums, do your research. You need to know what media are they consuming, who are they following and where are they hanging out. So these are the sort of, I'd say, five main questions to ask yourself and things to consider. So the first thing is, what do they read? This is going to come down to most likely industry newsletters they're subscribed to, blogs, magazines and social media accounts. So who are the industry authorities for low, for you know news and updates? Who do they follow? Who do they go to? Next would be what do they watch? So how are they consuming media? What YouTube channels do they watch? What social media accounts are they, are they on? What Netflix shows do they pay attention to? Again, we want to know because with all of these things, we want to be able to get in front of them. But we've got to work out what they pay attention to so we can either run ads, do sponsorships, do collaborations or just have talking points when we meet them at networking events. Next would be um, what do they listen to? So this would be, I guess, mainly podcasts, audiobooks, musicians or radio stations. Again, it varies because you'll understand the mindset, someone who consumes audio books and podcasts over listening to the radio. But either way, um, the more we know, the more we can kind of talk to them, bond with them, get recommendations. And like I said, even maybe sponsor these shows. Where do they hang out? So which industry events do they attend? And now this would come down to anything from awards events to sort of courses and education to networking events. If you know where they hang out, you can go and meet with them. And that's when all the other information of like, what are they listening to? What are they watching? Becomes relevant because you've got something to talk about when you bump into them. And the final bit, which I think is probably the most important, is who do they follow? So which industry sort of thought leaders or influencers or tastemakers do they look up to? Now, you can obviously, it's the easiest to find out because you can look at them on social media, see who they interact with. But the main thing would be if you're able to get some sort of interview or endorsement or testimonial from someone they look up to or have someone they look up to follow you then that immediately boosts your credibility in their eyes because the basically the credibility of the person they look up to is rubbing off on you and that's a very human thing so once you've understood all those things you can then kind of put together a simple kind of marketing plan which is like well I know what they're interested in so I need to find a way of getting in front of them and then the, what are you going to talk to them or show them? And so once you know, the four main things, again, you're going to kind of consider are one is helpful content. This is usually kind of showing people how to do things, how to solve problems. We've all been there. It's kind of very much YouTube tutorial type content or explaining things or in-depth articles or it can be reels. It can be whatever you want. But 
you want to show a kind of thought leadership and knowledge and understanding of them and your industry and showing and sharing your secrets so that you can see how successful you are. So that's the first thing. So again, what we're hoping to do is bump into them, meet them, sponsor a show, get them to read an article about us and then they come and see what we're up to and they're going to check out our social media and our website and are we showing them what they want to see or more importantly are we showing them what we want them to see in order for them to want to work with us so the second part is going to be success case studies so a case study is brilliant for sort of two things it it shows your expertise and it's kind of clients get to relate to it but it gives the people an in-depth understanding of how you work and what it's like to work with you so you're kind of telling a story within a sort of showcase of your work in a way that's really engaging for them. So always put case studies over just kind of galleries of images. They never work galleries of images. You need context and you need to explain what went on in order to kind of for people to appreciate it. Uh, You also need credible testimonials. Similar to the kind of thought leaders, we want to get testimonials which are from credible people that are admired, but they also want to have enough variety so that Um, they're not generic and boring so we're talking about testimonials that are dealing with issues or explaining oh they helped me overcome this problem in my business and we want that problem that you've helped them overcome to be a problem that the ideal client is currently having so when they read the testimonial they think oh great they could do the same for me that's what we want to get with our testimonials we want to have specificity and a bit of variety as well to kind of complement case studies The final thing, as always, is you need some way of capturing their information so that you can kind of continue the conversation on email. So with everything you're doing here, make sure you have a way that they can sign up or follow or engage with you so that when you've made all this effort to kind of make a good impression, it's not wasted and you have the opportunity to kind of continue that conversation long term while they get to know you, while they get to like you and trust you, and when a position comes along where they've got the budget and the need for your services. And the easiest way to do that and stay top of mind is through something like email. Once we've done all of this, we're kind of clear on how to stretch our income gap. We've got a strategy lined out of who we want to work with, how we can help them, how we're going to reach them, and what we're going to show them. We now need the final component, which is an easy-to-implement system that will allow us to do regular, easy marketing that's going to compound itself over time. One of the best sort of ways of examples of sort of thinking about this is the story of um, Jerry Seinfeld and how he wanted to become a better writer. So what Seinfeld was doing, he said that when he first started out, what he would do is he would get a calendar, which was a full year, and he would hang it up on the wall, and he would write every day for an hour. And if he did that successfully, he'd put a big red X across the day to show I'd successfully done it. Now, what happened was, as he was doing it, he realized he didn't want to break that chain of X's. He actually wanted to do the writing in order to be able to say I'd done the the job and put the X on the calendar so that the calendar would be full of all these beautiful red X's. And ironically, after a while, it became neither about the writing or the X's. It just became how he behaved. And it was completely kind of standard the habit had been built but by then he was writing so well an hour a day wasn't hard for him and as you can imagine these hours a day built up and up and up and it's one of the big contributing factors to how he got to where he was was just continuous writing so he is able to motivate himself by doing this consistent effort visually through this calendar now you could absolutely adopt the same approach but the reason why I say is what we're looking for here is slow and steady to be consistent because the consistency is the thing that wins above all else. So if you can be consistent, you've got a massive chance of success. Now, when you're doing it, you need to set yourself up for a successful session because if you're setting aside, say, half an hour, 45 minutes a day to work on your marketing, but you're not really focused and you're kind of like distracted, then that time is a waste of time. So here are things that you could be doing to make the most of that 30 to 45 to an hour period every day. First thing is to stick to a schedule. So your body will adjust to you making time for this if you do the same thing every day. Um, I found that getting up at six o'clock to either write or go to the gym, it was writing in the summer, it's now um, going to the gym since Christmas, 
it's amazing how I kind of expect it. It's become much easier. My body, I wouldn't say I quite look forward to it, but it's certainly not as big a deal. I find it harder to kind of say no. I'm kind of like, well, I'm awake anyway. I'm up. I might as well get on with it. It was the same thing. And it's amazing that once you do that, your body adjusts and you kind of prepares and almost gets ready for it. Now, when you're in there, there are certain things you have to do. So first of all, before you start, you need to have a plan. So you need to know what you're going to do before you go in, because there's nothing worse than sitting down and working out, right, what do I need to do? Because you're going to spend about 10, 15 minutes trying to work it out, gathering the research, planning everything out. And before you know it, that period of time that you've set aside to do this is gone. So you must know what you're doing beforehand. That's massively important. And I found planning out my day the night before the most effective way of doing it. I also need to be hydrated because, and I learned this in football coaching, if you are dehydrated by as much as 2%, it can cause up to 10 to 20% loss of focus and concentration when you're playing sport. And it's the same when you're trying to concentrate. So you want to be hydrated, but not saturated. So by that, I mean, it's probably a good idea to maybe have a coffee uh, and maybe a glass of water beforehand, go to the loo and then go in there and then you're fully ready to go. The next part of it is how do I eliminate all the possible interruptions and distractions so I can get what um, Cal Newport talk calls deep work done, which is where I'm totally focused and nobody is distracting me or interrupting me. The first thing is to inform those people around you what you're doing, how long you're doing it for and why it's so important to you. So if they know to leave you alone, they will do it. And like I said, it's, again, it's really simple. You just say, look for the next hour, half an hour. I need to get some work done. Um, if I need to be contacted or anyone calls me, just take a message, tell them I'll call them back when I've finished. And that's it. People will leave you alone, but they won't if you don't tell them. So just letting them know. And again, reminding them why it matters is so important. Next, you need to um, eliminate any digital distractions by ideally not taking your phone with you. And if you can, switching off the internet. I know that's very difficult, but those apps and software is designed to hook you in. So we need to try and eliminate that. So no notifications, no bleeping, no pinging, nothing. Switch it all off. Treat it a bit like an exam. So you remember in school when you had an exam, all of your preparation had to be done beforehand. You had to have everything ready because you knew when you went into the exam, you weren't allowed out again. It's the same sort of thing. So any notebooks, pens, books, research, notes, anything, get it all done beforehand, get it prepared and then take it in with you and leave everything else outside. And the final bit is called the white page method. And Sean Wes of the Sean Wes community, or Sean McCabe actually, um, he talked about this, which is where you have a piece of paper set aside so that when a random thought pops into your head of like, oh, I need to do that, or oh, I mustn't forget to do this, you just write it down on the piece of paper and then dismiss it. So when it bumps into your head again and nags you to go, oh yeah, you need to do that, you can dismiss it quickly knowing that, well, I won't forget because I've written it down. Now, if you do all of those things, you're going to have a much more productive session. And again, like the exercise, it becomes a good habit to get into where you're doing it regularly. And I promise you, once you do this regularly and you get loads of work done in that time, it becomes addictive. I promise you, I would get more work done from five till six in the morning when no one was awake and nobody could bother me than I would for an entire day. It's strange, but so true. When you're doing your daily kind of uh, work, your marketing, there needs to sort of be this kind of strategic outreach. So it's this thing of we need to work on what's working for us and we need to think about what we're doing in regards to kind of how can we build it so that we're applying our strategic thinking. So we're heading in the right direction, going after the people we want to work with. And we kind of get the short-term marketing in our industry going, so we're getting work in the short-term. And the way I've broken it down is you're going to be doing effectively three types of tasks. And they fall into tasks that are going to be done monthly, tasks that are going to be done weekly, and tasks that are going to be done daily. So when you're planning what to do over the next month, here are the three things you must, they're kind of monthly tasks. You know, nothing is mandatory, but they definitely make a big difference. And if you do at least these three things every month, I promise you in a few months, it will really add up. So the first thing is to attend a networking event. The reason why it's a monthly task is 
if you attend too many events, it doesn't look good for you because it looks like you're never working. And also people get bored of seeing you. So there's so no novelty factor. So being strategic in picking a high quality, well attended networking event at least once a month and planning that in advance is good because what you're trying to do is making sure you're being seen at the right places with the right people. And if we think about it, Anyone you'd want to talk to who's a decision maker in a business is busy. But if they've decided to take time out of their schedule to attend this event, it must be something in it for them. You need to think about the same. How you would perceive them as a successful you know, business owner who makes good decisions, we need people to think the same of you. So pick and choose carefully that monthly event you're going to attend. The next thing is to collaborate. Once a month, find someone to collaborate with because this is going to get you known by their audience and vice versa. And the collaborations, they help you lift your game so you're actually performing better, but also you're going to kind of produce new work that's going to push outside your comfort zone. So all of this is important to do. It takes a bit of planning. And like I said, that's why it's a monthly task because any good collaboration takes a bit of planning, takes a while to execute. But if done properly, is really, really good for building your network and awareness. And then the final thing is more of a marketing activity. And this is where you're going to run a challenge. So you're going to look at what your ideal potential clients are struggling with. And you're going to run a kind of short, say like 10 day challenge or 10 day email challenge to help them solve a problem. And the reason I mention that kind of approach is this. If you run one challenge a month, there's an element of like people don't get too kind of burnt out by what you're always doing. And you can theme them around an event or a season. But the reason being is whatever it is you want to do, like build your brand, build an email list, whatever it is, run some Facebook ads. When someone signs up for that, that shows that they're interested in learning how to do that or that's a problem for them in their business. What you can then follow up with is like, how did you get on? Do you need help? So this is a really nice indirect way of trying to get you work in a way that is helping them. And odds on they'll be like, yeah, do you know what? I'd love for you to do it for me because I tried and I found it hard and I realized. So by doing that once a month, we're we're kind of doing this thing of we're building our network, we're going off being seen by the right people, and we're bringing in leads by running kind of fun challenges, which are not too difficult to run. You know, there's no big budget. There's no kind of, you'd have to be on a video camera all the time. It's kind of easy to do. So those are things I consider monthly tasks. The next are going to be weekly tasks. So every week you need to do at least one of these things, if not all of them, at least once a week. And again, what we're trying to do here is balance the consistency of doing these tasks with without getting burnout. So do you remember in the beginning I talked about I would ask, does anybody have any work going or do you know anyone who needs help? I asked too many people. So when I got sort of responses back there was a limit to what I could take on so I ended up disappointing more people than I helped by doing it this way we're making sure that we're consistently doing stuff but actually we're doing it at a sort of regular schedule that we're never going to run that risk so the first point is reach out to someone you admire so this is someone you probably don't know but you'd like to get to know and if by reaching out by someone you admire odds on they're going to be in a slightly higher social circle than you So again, networking in the right places is going to help because it's going to build your connections and try and find the most effective way of reaching them. And that normally is through referral or introduction. But if you're doing this once a week, then you're not doing it too often and you're doing it in a way that actually if you're meeting four new people a month who you didn't know but you all love to get to know, that's going to elevate your social circle and that's going to help you kind of move up the social circles to get to know more affluent clients gradually the next is to send a capacity email so that's what i talked about where you send out to people you've worked with and you just say i've got a gap of work coming up i've got a gap in my work Um, is anything i can help you with and that's it you just let them know and see what they say but if again if you're doing it every week to one person a week odds on you're never going to become overloaded with both work and stuff because quite often when you tell them this they will find work or they'll know someone who needs work and that way you're doing it so it's like 50 times a year which is a lot of extra work coming in regularly but again you're deciding who you're asking you're not doing it too often that looks desperate there's a lovely balance to that the third thing is making a sales call now a lot of people get scared by this because it feels very pushy but i've always said 
the intent is what matters. And if you can remind yourself that you're trying to help people, it doesn't feel so pushy. But overall, learning to make sales calls is essential to sort of giving you peace of mind your business because the more you do it, the better you get. That's true of anything. But you'll build up a slight resistance and you'll get better at handling people's possible rejection and and objections and concerns. And if you get good at this, let's say you're doing one a week, you could even do two a week if you're really into it, but you could do, say, one a week after a year. And although that feels like a long time, it goes quick you've had 50 sales calls you've made. So with each sales call, you're going to get a bit better. And there's nothing better than when you need money, if you find yourself in that position of like, something went wrong, I need to get some quick cash in, being able, instead of being at the mercy of everyone else, actually taking control and going, I'm not. it's not a problem, I'll just make sales calls all day until I get new clients. Having that in the back of your head to back up what you do it is a massive massive thing that's immensely beneficial so learning that skill is definitely something to do i found that alex hermosi is excellent for all that so i'd recommend um following what he does and testing out what he says but he will tell you it is just reps nothing beats reps the final thing is to meet someone for coffee now i'm a big believer in when you meet up with someone in person it has a much longer lasting impression on that person because as we've all found with too many Zoom meetings, they're very easy to check out of or DMs or messages. They're very easy to kind of forget or ignore. Or if you bother to make the effort to meet someone once a week for coffee, slowly you'll re-energize that network. You'll get to know loads of people and you have a chance to make a meaningful impression, which means that they will go back to their business reminded of you. And if you then follow up a couple of weeks later with an email, go, look, I've got a gap. Have you got any work coming on? that's when that all ties together because now they're going to go yeah i really like him uh let's find some work for him and that's when it starts to pay off so the final thing is always try and meet someone for coffee um i wouldn't recommend lunch because it's more expensive and goes on for longer coffee's great because if they you want to dip out of the meeting after 20 minutes you just finish your coffee and go if it's going really well you can have a second coffee so Again, it gives you more control and it also gives them more control so they feel they can leave the meeting whenever they want without being rude and that's important. The final bit, and this is the backbone of the entire thing, is the daily activity. It's that small daily effort, that kind of brushing the teeth that I talked about. So what we want to do here is these are the daily activities you want to do and there are four main things to do. And if you do these, combine them with the once a week weekly tasks and then the monthly tasks you're going to find there's plenty to do but it's not going to overwhelm you so these are the four things i'd recommend doing every day as far as marketing efforts so you're going to need to call someone now calling's weird some people don't like to get a phone call some people do I personally have always found it a nice surprise when someone calls. And even if I've been hesitant to pick up, by the time I start talking to them, I've really enjoyed it. And it's the same approach as taking them for a coffee. It's harder to get someone out of the office for a coffee. Um, So that's why you need to give them a bit more time to schedule it. That's why it's a weekly thing where anyone can take a quick call or you can leave a voice note. The reason being is we want to stay on their wavelength and their attention and their radar so we know what they want. And this is a great way of doing that. So when you do it, always go in there with one with an objective and being respectful. So do your research, find out how their company's doing, know what you want to get out of the meeting as far as like what are the next steps and be prepared to be quick and to the point because people are often busy and they haven't got the time for a 20 minute natter. Second thing is to share something valuable. I tend to keep a list of websites that have kind of interesting Um, and fascinating and valuable articles because there's always something worth sharing so if I know who I'm talking to and what they're interested in I can quickly scan through my list of websites pick out something and just it gives me an excuse to get in touch which feels rather organic and inobtrusive I'm not asking for anything I'm just saying I saw this thought you'd appreciate it hope you're well would love to catch up anytime soon by the way saw your website love the work you did for this catch you later and that's it Now, by doing this, they're going to appreciate it because you're giving them something valuable. You're paying them a compliment. You're not taking any of their time, but you're making a good impression of yourself and you're reminding them that you exist. And always when we get work from clients, it is this thing of they need someone that they need something doing. And the first thing they think is, I wonder who I know who can do this for me. So they'll either ask themselves and if you're top of mind, they'll pick you. Or they might ask their local network or WhatsApp group 
do you know of anyone who does this? So we want to be top of mind because that's how most businesses will start. They won't come and find you on Instagram. They won't always advertise. So we need to think of it this way. Next is to be engaging with your community. So this is a daily habit where you can be social on social. And this is by strategically engaging. So there's a whole range of things here, but mainly it would be asking questions because you want to get responses, answering questions in full. So you can, your target is to be the most kind of eloquent and interesting comments when other people read it, they're impressed. It's engaging in the sort of feeds of influential people with other people so they see you there. It's about sending DMs. It's about strategically liking posts, commenting, showing other people's stuff. I mean, you'll know what to do, but again, you're looking to touch and make a connection deliberately. So there should be certain people you want to engage or, or be noticed by when you do this. And if you do that, then that's where it's going to work in your favour. If they're just random comments on random accounts, then you're wasting your time. Everything has to be deliberate and we have to be thoughtful about how we do it. So really pay attention to that. And the final thing is to introduce two people. Um, all you need to do with this, very, very quick, very complimentary email saying, so-and-so have you met, so-and-so, they are brilliant at X, so-and-so have you met, so-and-so, they're brilliant at Y. I think you two should get to know each other because you could be brilliant doing Z. Anyway, I'll leave you to carry on the conversation. Very, very simple introduction. But the point being is those two people will feel good from having something nice said about them. There is a genuine synergy between them working together that can lead to work and they will both thank you for it. So it's a two-for-one deal here. And if we complete doing these daily activities, we're going to absolutely hit so many touch points with so many people so often. So those are the kind of tasks that you're looking to do monthly, weekly and daily. Outside of this, that's obviously the outgoing keep in touch. I would also recommend kind of that there's always that working in the business and on the business. So other things just to consider that you can be doing, which again, longer-term projects, but they're just things that, again, are going to work with your strategy. It, it's going to be updating your website with new work. It's going to be creating content and writing articles. Um, it's going to be things like maybe recording a podcast, creating a lead magnet, or doing some sort of marketing or advertising. These are all things which we often overlook and that we've got to be doing them as well. My goal in this is to be helping you do a range of activities which where you're dealing with people and it's easy and it's daily and they will work but I do think that the other bit is you need to probably make time to kind of stay up to date with what you're doing your website your social media and then actually be finding a way to create legacy content that people can find and share and recommend that is going to compound itself over time so that's where you know recording a podcast on anchor would come in or creating a great lead magnet you know all these things are all possible and what you'll find is you'll have time to do them because when you're doing this kind of um, daily 30 to 45 minute approach you'll find that actually i've nailed through all my daily tasks and i've got 20 minutes left that's when you can find time to do the other bits and all of that together is really going to work for you so to sum up if we want to get off the income roller coaster we need to think differently about organizing our money and in particular widening that income gap by reducing our costs and finding a way to increase our prices. Second, we need to build in some sort of um, conscious career strategy where we're looking to work with our ideal clients and finding ways that we can service them and help them and doing that deliberately by the third week part which is the daily keep in touch strategy where we are targeting these people getting to know these people, attending events where they turn out and making it a small, regular thing that we do every day for half an hour to 45 minutes. If we do all of this, we will be moving in the right direction. We'll be getting control of our money, which is control of our creative career. And we'll be getting to new, know and work with new and wonderful clients. All of this is going to take us off the feast of famine income roller coaster, and it will totally transform how you do your business because it becomes super easy. Now, I always want to leave you with kind of more actionable stuff. So here are some short-term goals, which I would consider mapping out probably, let's say, in your first few weeks. So immediately, short-term, put your prices up. That's going to be a big one. Next, you need to audit your finances and then cut back on what you don't need. And then you need to clarify exactly what your pitch is going to be. Medium term goals would include updating your website and your social media content, 
gathering together your client attention list so you know they pay attention and actually start planning and implementing this daily outreach so it's this thing of like in the beginning um, there are certain things you can do like the prices and all that kind of stuff to take control then you want to improve your web presence and what you look like so that when you start the outreach and people see what you do and how you look it all kind of works together in your sort of favor before finally longer term goals would be kind of doing this the weekly and monthly tasks forming strategic relationships within your industry and doing targeted marketing and PR in order to sort of boost that and raise awareness. So this is a kind of longer term strategy, but I hope within that there's plenty of stuff that you're going to take from that, which you're going to find actionable and practical. And like I said, this is your ticket off that income roller coaster. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed it. As always, I'm here to help you. So if you have any questions, please let me know. You can send an email to thad at thadeducation.com. You can join the Facebook group. Just search Thadeducation on Facebook or you can follow at Thadeducation on Instagram. Have a good day, good week, and I will speak to you soon.